Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Spartan Spotlight. I'm Justin Thind. I'm here with Corey Robinson. And today we're also joined by our colleague at 24-7 Sports, Stephen Brooks. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing good. Uh, definitely uh, ready to get some sleep at some point, but uh, that's probably a few hours off still. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I'm I'm, uh, I'm fortunate. I guess we're all fortunate. Maybe, maybe, maybe unfortunate. I don't know that I could scrape enough brain power and, and brain matter together to, to, to hop on here with you guys. It's been a long day, but it's been exciting uh, as we'll talk about. It's been interesting. Uh, it's been eventful. So let's get, we, let's just get into it all. Yeah, for sure. I guess right now, the first thing that everyone's thinking about since it's the most recent occurrence is the uh, Keontae Goodwin uh, commitment to Kentucky. Uh, it's uh, one of those things where you kind of have your expectations adjusted for what's possible the more you get sucked into the recruitment and then you're disappointed when it doesn't go your way but if you take a step back you're kind of appreciative of the overall results but understandably it's uh it's not a good feeling to come that close to a recruitment and Keontae was genuinely torn here these past uh 24 hours or so and no point was one school um, far ahead of another school. I do think yesterday morning, Michigan State was feeling pretty good and, and Kentucky was not. But that being more than 24 hours before the announcement doesn't really mean anything. But in the last 24 hours, it was just tons of going back and forth. As our colleague Steve Wiltfong was also saying uh, throughout last night and this morning. So one of those things where Michigan State gave it their best shot and they lost out. And they lost out to a staff that has prioritized Goodwin since seventh grade. Um, he had um, some weight issues in 10th grade where he got above 400 pounds. Kentucky kind of stuck with him. They mentored him a little bit. And uh, that, that kind of loyalty is a little hard to compete against. But Tucker, Cap, these guys, they did all they could. They got two uh, visits out of Goodwin on his own dime. And then they hosted him for an official visit right before signing day this past weekend. And that's really all you can ask for. And I, I guess that's kind of the synopsis of how that all went. I'll turn the floor to you guys there. What are your thoughts on just seeing this unfold? Yeah, for me, that definitely came down to the, the last minute for the people that are watching uh, the live show with Steve Wiltfong, where he was talking about the phone call with Mel Tucker. I had actually kind of been uh, on another side of that phone call too. So I had heard that uh, it, the call was a, a final push by Michigan State uh, to try and get him to flip back over to them. Uh, but at the end of the day, they, they fell a little short. Uh, Keontae really, really was torn. Uh, I know he had mentioned to me, like, the, the outpouring of the fan base at Michigan State made a big impact. And then just his uh, relationships with Mel Tucker and, Chris Kapilovich was really good, but uh, at the end of the day, he wanted to stick closer to home in his comfort zone a little bit. And like uh, Justin mentioned, Kentucky's been there since seventh or eighth grade with him. Uh, he's that they've been the school to beat for the vast majority of his recruitment, and they were able to hold on at the very last second. But I know. Uh, Vince Marrow and a lot of the coaches over there got really uncomfortable in the process. Yeah. Steven, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I uh, you, you guys uh, were, were more plugged into sort of the minute by minute thing, and it really what kind of was that at times these last two days. Um, and uh, so I think we've we've covered it extensively. I think you guys did a great job throughout the process on our board and articles and the podcast, everything. Um, but so like so uh, from a sort of big picture approach, though, like I still, I, I sort of di- digested it as like. I mean, Mel Tucker just got Michigan State on the doorstep of a five-star offensive tackle before year two is even finished. The guy couldn't even uh, you know, seven months ago couldn't even shake hands with recruits. You know, I mean, he's, he's he hasn't even finished his second season. So, you know, I, I'm not saying people don't have rights to be uh, a right to be disappointed and upset. And like, I truly get that. I get those emotions, everything. And and when you're that close, you know, and, uh, we all know like nothing, you know, doesn't matter unless you unless you get your guy in this type of game. So. You know, in L's and L, it's a binary deal, like like Mel says. But the fact that you were that close, you know, and I've already gone back and forth on our message board a little bit with some folks, and it's like, I don't know about you guys, but I think it's a better sign to be in the conversation at, at the table with a five star versus not. You know, I get it. You get them or you don't. It's a zero sum game there. But I'd still rather be close and and be right there on the cusp than not at all. You know, and I think the fact that Mel Tucker has Michigan State and Chris Kapilovic, you know, I can't. Can't not mention him enough um, because uh, obviously he led the way here um, and he's, he's done a lot of good things for this class and, and whatnot. So um, I just can't mention that enough, though. I think that's a really big marker of where this program's headed. And, you know, I don't think anybody was saying on February 12th, 2020, yeah, well, Mel Tucker better sign one of the two best tackles in, his, in the country in a second best recruiting class. So to act like it's a massive letdown disappointment. Or, or any indication of anything other than upward positive growth, and I think is a little off. Yeah, yeah definitely. And for like the fans, like obviously it's emotional and you react, but for us looking at the on the outside a little bit more, and uh, we we know for a hundred percent fact that finishing second yet yeah, sucks, but that's part of the process. You got to start getting in those battles for uh, Keontae Goodwins or. Uh, Armani Winfield over in Texas, a four-star receiver. Uh, you got to get into those. Michigan State wasn't really getting into those battles uh, the last few years. So this it's all a part of the process and steps, and you're going to always lose some. Alabama loses a lot of people every single year that they want to. Uh, so no one, no one gets everyone they want. It's just a matter of you got to be able to get in those battles, and then you eventually start closing on the ones that you need. Yeah, you got to walk before you, you got to crawl before you walk. You got to walk before you run, you know, and and, and folks also got to remember, there's just always some every kid's different. Like there's always some things that are just out of your control. Like we know Goodwin wanted to sort of be closer to home. That was a factor. I don't know if it was the only factor or the most important, but it was a factor. OK, and you can't pick Michigan State up and move it closer to him. If a kid grows up in Atlanta, you can't change the climate overnight during his four years, although these days, I mean. Maybe you can, but you, you guys get what I'm saying? Like there are some things that you can just throw your best punch in the recruiting game. And there might just be something that's completely out of your control that you cannot change. And that might ultimately be your downfall, you know? Yeah. And what this kind of reminds me of is what philosophy I kind of had when looking at the results in the 2021 class, but just scaled to more success. So what I kind of mean is when Mal Tucker came here and he had one week of visits and he was hosting guys like, Damon Payne and Donovan Edwards and Jamari Button and Jalen Reed. And I kept taking note of the fact that Mel Tucker was getting into these top threes 
when Michigan State wasn't even the picture before he got here. And that was something that I continuously kind of brought up. And people would always respond back and say, there's no such thing as moral victories. And that's true. But that does not mean these things are not indicators of future success. So now you just shift that to higher um, to a higher echelon of recruit. And now you kind of see, okay, finish second for a five-star recruit who I think will be a first-round draft pick. And that's coming off of one successful season at Michigan State. And that kind of leads me to envision a future where the next step would be to close on some of these guys. And I expect them to do that. So yes, moral victories are not a thing, but you can still use these as indicators for what could come in the future and just kind of putting together what these building blocks are looking like and a path forward that could emerge as the success continues. Could I just add on that real quick, Justin? And I'll shut up for a sec. But like, I think there's a difference between moral victories and progress. You know, I think moral victories imply that you're content with the outcome and the result. And I think we all know, I do know that we all know, like that there's no such thing as content in Mel Tucker's program, but there's, but progress is real. You, you have to, you know, you go from point A to point B, that's progress. Like, so you can call it this or that. I, I call it progress, to be honest. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So I guess taking a step back here away from the Keontae Goodwin recruitment and just uh, talking about the entire early signing day and the days leading up to it. Uh, so Michigan State had uh, coming into today silent commitments from Caleb Coley uh, and Zion Young. And uh, both of those came to fruition today. I know, uh, Stephen, you had reported that there was a little bit of wavering there with uh, Zion Young for us to keep an eye on going into today. So it was good to see that end up coming into fruition despite last minute push from Mizzou, who we visited this weekend. Caleb Coley, that one was never in doubt. Um, I know that was one of those articles that we had the draft written for four days before he even decommitted from Vanderbilt. So these are these are examples of when people say, oh, a silent commit is risky. Don't put stock in that. Um, most of the guys that commit to Michigan State are, are silent commits at one point or another. So coming into today, Michigan State landed those two guys that they expected to land. But we were kind of following Armani Goodwin, uh, or sorry, Armani Winfield, Keontae Goodwin, coming into these last 48 hours or so. Uh, we were pretty confident on everybody else. We knew everybody else was going to sign in the early period. And then I guess play-by-play with the Armani Goodwin thing is, sorry, Armani Winfield, is that the fact that he was basically a, a Michigan State lock going into that Baylor visit. And then the Baylor visit happened. But kind of the first thing that I heard after the Baylor visit was not even that Baylor was the team taking the lead. It was the Quinera's effect coming out of Texas and that Texas was was making some noise there. Then, then the next thing that I heard was, no, it was Baylor that had taken the lead. Texas kind of just got him to, to step back and just look around. And Baylor was the one that was taking advantage of that, capitalizing on their official visit. Then heard this morning from pretty much as reliable of a source as you could ask to hear from. And uh, this, this source was told Texas and put in the crystal ball for Texas and ended up committing to Baylor, just like um, where my crystal ball was before that. So no longer perfect there. Uh, 60 for 61, I believe is where the crystal ball record sits now, but that's uh, that's kind of what I recall the Armani Winfield uh, recruitment tracking at. 
I don't know if you guys have anything to add there. Basically covered uh, Armani a lot, but I'll still turn it over to you guys if there's anything you want to add there or even just taking it into any other things in the last 48 hours that you guys recall. For Winfield, I just say it's probably best that went this way because if he was uh, waffling off of commits, uh, because I, he committed to Michigan State silently, like I was out there, uh, then he took the visit and said, oh, don't worry, I'm just doing this for fun. And then, like you said, he was flipping between Texas and Baylor and ended up at Baylor. So so clearly uh, that's got a guy that would have probably transferred written all over it, especially being further away. So you probably just uh, take your hit to whatever extent you feel like that was today and you move on and it doesn't really matter down the road. I would just remind folks that, that three receivers was the plan for a long time and yeah. they're really only going to make room for that fourth guy like a Winfield some somebody of that four-star pedigree, a game changer, a real dude type. Like, okay, we'll make room for him. But other than that, like, we're kind of good with our three, and we, they got the three locked up fairly early there. So um, I just think that's important context, too. I don't think it's the same type of gut punch, you know, the type of deal that Goodwin was. I mean, he's – I'm right there with Justin. I think he's a future first-rounder. I'd be – if he's not a very, very, very good player who has a nice, long pro career – then I'll probably be as wrong as I've ever been mm-hmm. you know, on that one because I, I think he's legit. So yep. um, Winfield, good player, no doubt. But again, it was more of a luxury deal. So yeah. it's not a make or break spot for this class. Yeah. Plus it, w- what you kind of look at is the landscape of college football. And uh, if you kind of have been tracking the portal this year and last year, you're oftentimes going to be able to find a wide receiver or running back in the portal much easier than you'll be able to find an offensive tackle, a defensive end, a pure cover corner. So obviously Winfield is a guy that you would love to have on your team. It's not one of those cases where afterwards we're sitting here saying, Oh, he wasn't that good. He's a great player, but losing a wide receiver in the portal era just isn't as big of a deal as it typically would be. And uh, proof of that is just look at, look at who in the NFL, who's getting picked in the top five every year, edge rushers, offensive tackles, quarterback. So uh, yeah. So Winfield, uh, would have been a great get would have staff really wanted him, but like, like you guys have echoed, it's not a make or break kind of thing. Whereas Goodwin, he, he kind of was, he's like, you just echoed. He's a guy that I cannot imagine not being successful, but uh, any other recruitments, any other tidbits you guys want to talk about regarding the last 40, 48 hours and anything that you were looking out for, anything that stood out, anything notable, just any, anything you want to talk about heading into early signing day and then whatever today held. Um, no, this is pretty much monitoring uh, the two guys we talked about and Zion Young, uh, who they ended up uh, getting, which that one got a little dice here, but I think pretty much it was those guys. Cause you knew Coley and Malcolm Jones were all in and they weren't visiting anywhere else, talking to anywhere one else. So you didn't have to really worry too much about them. And then, obviously, I think we all were kind of keeping our eye on uh, Bogle, who had been committed to the staff since uh, his official visit. I think he actually committed. Was it Saturday that he committed on his official before it was even over? I believe Steven? so. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember the exact day, but it, before he left campus, that was uh, definitely the vibe right. that he was in. So. Yeah, so, I mean, it was kind of those guys were at the rest of them. We knew all of the 
the commitments that were public already. We knew they were all solid. Nobody was wavering there. So it, it still was a real exciting signing day. Like, I don't remember having uh, this much going on and the excitement in the air and the Michigan State fan base, all of that. Uh, so even though there was only, I think, three or four guys that you're really in any kind of question or they weren't committed in the class, it felt like there was a lot of action going on the last 48 hours for sure. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of remarkable that, you know, it's such a highly ranked class, like especially relative to the last like five, six years, you know, and there's five, uh, six, four stars, I think, um, five or six, whatever it is. Um, it, it's it's a really nice class and there really wasn't at least that we knew about and I think uh, between the three of us we would have caught wind of most things uh, there I don't know if any schools that were really even sniffing around you know any of these commits and uh, like half these guys are more than half uh were all committed like before the dead period was over or at least right. well before the season I should say so you got guys who had like a long-standing commitment you know does do things fade does time make your eyes wander or do new coaches creep in and you know, nestle into your ear there. Like, I don't really know of anybody uh, sniffing around any of these guys where there was even threats. Like, yeah, I don't know if he's going to come through. You know, it was like, yeah, the committed guys, they're all in. Like, and there was really no drama there. Like, I thought maybe a, there could, there was a chance we could find out some, like, surprise name or two that, today. Um, that really didn't happen. And, yeah, like like Corey said, Chris Bogle was just, was, was just like, were they going to make it official or not? Or what was the deal there? But um, I think that's commendable though, to the staff and to the players, though, quite honestly. Again, you got a lot of guys who were committed for a long time and you didn't hear much. You know, if they did, if it was happening, they kept it very, very quiet because you didn't hear much at all, like almost nothing about uh, MSU commits sniffing around or schools sniffing around them, trying to lure them out of their commitments, you know? Yeah, and the maybe a couple names you might have heard, like it would get squashed so quick before it ever became a thing. Uh, I think that's another thing besides recruiting uh, for the staff, they're also very good at hearing the rumors on the around going around town and the country, so that they can kind of jump ahead and get stuff and try and figure out where people's heads are at. So uh, I think that might be part of it too. Is uh, not only are they they don't stop recruiting their guys, they're still talking to them multiple times a week and uh, just building the relationship and trust so that you don't see the guys kind of wandering like you saw at a lot of places today. There's a lot of, a lot of really good players uh, that flipped out of the blue to some weird spots. So <laughs> give Michigan state credit that they were able to shut any, any distractions down with their guys. And they added uh, what they had three or four really good pieces. If you count the portal ones uh, in the last couple of days. So definitely huge, huge sign going forward for them. Yeah, for sure. Plus, you kind of look at um, the guys that did uh, have some threat around them possibly flipping. Like, I know Quavian Carter took an official to Ole Miss months ago. Like, Michigan State was out in front of all of those things, and they were making sure those guys were getting extra attention. They were making sure that that their that their wavering was kind of being met with the proper amount of attention there. So the staff was very aware. They knew what was happening. They knew which guys they needed to focus on a lot down the stretch, uh, which committed guys. And as a result of having that awareness and as a result of being proactive and keeping their ear to the ground, 
they're able to sign everyone that was committed coming into today. So a lot of, a lot of success um, in terms of just the overall big picture. And then one stat that uh, we tweeted out on the Spartan tailgate account today was Michigan State ended up with five top uh, or five 24 seven sports, four stars. And that's more uh, four-star commits than Michigan State has gotten in the last, I want to say, five cycles combined. So definitely a huge, very successful recruiting day. And uh, obviously the 0 for 2 on, on those two big-name guys stings a bit. But you step back and uh, look at the bigger picture there, then uh, it, it kind of looks a little different than if you look at it in in the scope of just what happened today. But yeah, uh, and I think Bogle. I think Bogle outweighs everybody. Not named Chanty Goodwin, anyways. I think right. that was an absolute must-have for next year. Uh, that guy. I don't know if you guys have gotten a chance to watch his tape, but like that kid is an absolute athletic freak, and uh, at the position that Michigan State needs as bad as any position on the whole football team. So uh, I think adding him wipes out anything not named Keontae Goodwin to me. What about you, Stephen? Well, a quick note on Bogle. I didn't realize this. I guess I didn't put the dots together, but Mel recruited him. He told us today at the press conference, he recruited him while yeah. he was at Georgia. So there was a prior relationship there. And uh, he was talking about how uh, Bogle's developed, you know, and filled out. And uh, I don't know if his exact quotes in front of me, but he basically said he can do anything you want on the edge. That might be his exact quote. It's very close, but um, he says he's bigger now, you know, than the sort of lanky, skinny kid he recruited. So um, I'm with you that that was a must-get position. I don't, I don't care if it was him or, or you know, uh, your neighbor Bob. I don't care. But like you got it. You had to restock defensive end and uh, and try your hardest. Like Justin said, it's a very, very hard position to try to find, you know, a, a gem in the portal. But you, you had to, and uh, I think he could be that guy. So um, good pickup for them for sure. Yeah, and I think finding pass rush an elite pass rush like that is really hard. If you look at last year, uh, they're able to add Drew Jordan, who is a, a good player, but he's not a pass rusher. He's more of a strong side type of guy. Uh, so, I mean, there's not very many guys that have the talent level and athleticism and frame in that portal at defensive end. A lot of those guys don't get out there. So, uh, yeah, he's definitely, to me, one of the the biggest additions that you could uh, come up with. For sure. So one thing that we're going to have a superlatives piece coming out here uh, in the near future that we'll dive into several different categories and kind of give the players that we think best fit that description. But one of the, one of the categories I wanted to just touch on today was which player do we think is going to outshine his recruiting ranking the most and everyone knows about the guys that are the bona fide studs and we all share the same opinion on Alex Van Sumeran and Kaiten Hauser and how these guys are going to be great players in the program and several others as well Jaden Mangum and whatnot but there's a lot of guys in here that uh, we are high on and uh, the recruiting rankings might not reflect it but I guess uh, I'll, I'll let you guys go first and then I'll pick someone else that you guys haven't named but uh, just wanted to run through that descriptor. Who do you guys think is going to outshine their ranking? Go ahead, Stephen. I'll let you go first. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Uh, <laughs> there is I'm trying to decide over here. Uh, I mean, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of options to be honest. And then these you've still got a lot of highly ranked kids. And even within that, I mean, 
even Malik Spencer, where he's ranked, I mean, he's in the 600s nationally. He's three, like a high three-star and everything, but I think he could be really, really good. Um, Gavin Brocious is still – is not a low-ranked kid at all. I think he could be really, really good. I, I'm a big Tyrell Henry fan. Um, I will uh, cheat a little bit. Hopefully I'm not taking you guys, but uh, I'm eh, – yeah, I'm going to cheat. I'm sorry. I'm going to go James Shaw and Michael Masunas. Um, Masunas was going to be my first pick, but I, got, I keep coming back to Shaw too. I just really love the – I thought he had an excellent senior year and sort of, you know, answered any of those questions you might have had just in terms of size, yes, but explosiveness, all the athleticism, all these things. I mean, he's, I think he's a legitimately nice pickup um, and a guy that can develop here and uh, that can sort of fit the mold of some of those, some of those defensive ends we've seen over over time. Uh, the other one, Michael Masunas, I, I think um, he could be a real nice gem. He reminds me a lot of those like early D'Antonio tight ends, like. Um, like a Charlie Gant, like a Garrett Sellett, kind of like a throwback do-it-all guy where he is really rugged and physical, but, you know, oh, he sneaks through, now he's catching a, b- a ball on third and six, you know, and that's his only catch of the day, but it's a huge one, um, something like that. So uh, I think he can impact right away as a blocker and, and just give him that physical presence, but I think there's there's more to his game that we'll see down the year, uh, down the line as the years go by. So those are my two for now. Um, I'll go with, yeah, I, I like the guys that you mentioned up at the top, like, uh, Gavin Brocious and then but I'll go further down uh, the ranking list like you did and for me it's got to be uh, I think probably easily it kind of jumped out at me it was uh, Braden Miller the offensive tackle out of Colorado where he's six foot seven uh, 300 pounds uh, very good feet his brother plays offensive tackle or offensive line for Stanford as a starter so he's kind of got that in his genes and kind of a further along prospect. I thought he always had the good feet and the athleticism, his hands well, but I think senior year, he really jumped up with his strength and toughness and just plays a lot nastier now where if you look at his video, he'll just like uh, hit, a, hit a guy and the, the poor defensive end like flies five, six yards in the air before before he lands. So I think for me, uh, Braden Miller, we, I think we have him way too low. He's 979 in the country and an 85 uh, ranked three-star. I think he's a kid that's got to be quite quite a bit higher than where he's at right now. And almost like I could put him in the range of a four-star status, honestly. I think he's that good. Uh, so that would definitely be the one for me. Yeah, definitely agree with all the names you guys said as well. And um, I was kind of leaning towards going with Caleb Coley, but we've spent so much time talking about how good he is. And plus he's already the, the, the highest ranked three star. So that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be good being that bold, but uh, I've long maintained that Jack Nickel is a guy that's going to come in and start uh, as a true freshman, maybe not on the first, not for the first game, but Whoa. maybe by week six, week seven. So this is a guy that, He's ranked outside of the top 500, so he's not uh, expected to, based on a star ranking, come in and start as a true freshman in the Big Ten. And I think that's something he'll eventually end up being able to do. And the reason I think that is because, um, so Kevin Sinclair of the Notre Dame site uh, used to watch every single uh, Jack Nickel game, his junior and senior year, back when he was a Notre Dame commit. And uh, he grinds tape like crazy. And he said early on, this is the best blocking tight end in his class. 
And then uh, I started diving into that as well. saw some of the same things. And then a senior season started and he became so much more than a blocking tight end as their offense started to throw the ball. And he's a guy that ended up taking seam routes, 80 yards for touchdowns. He's a guy that's made one hand uh, catches on number one player in the nation, Travis Hunter in the back corner of the end zone, a route runner. So He's a, he's a guy that I think that now that he has grown a little past just being a great blocker, he's a guy that should have a role on next year's team. Um, and I think he could start by the middle of the season. I also think um, him early enrolling will give him a huge boost in, in that regard as well. Uh, so we have a couple minutes left. What is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you guys want to touch on? Um. Yeah, just that, I guess for me, the thing would be is how, how many people or how successful they were in the state of Georgia, which uh, Mel has made no secret like that was his top, maybe not his top priority. He won't say that out loud because of the in-state stuff, but, but it's probably his top priority out of the state. And for him to have the success that he had uh, year two, in the state of Georgia, uh, that I think that's what really st- sticks out to me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've said it on other shows. I probably said it to you guys before, but I mean, I think it's safe to say Georgia is the new Ohio for this staff. You know, what Ohio was to Mark Antonio's uh, tenure, I think Georgia is going to be to Mel Tucker's. And uh, the early re- early returns are really, really promising. And uh, it's a place you definitely like to get a foothold. So to be getting this, this caliber of player um, and this volume of players out of there, both of those factors this early, I think is, is, is a great sign. And uh, I would expect that to continue because he's already got a, Mel already has a, a, an established brand down there and, and some, some brand recognition, you know, his own self. So I think that'll continue in a big yep. way. Yep. That, you, know, you get the bowl game to sell it even more. And mm-hmm. I, what they ended up with seven guys from Georgia in the class, if I recall correctly, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, something I mean, like that. so, and those were all, seven guys that they wanted uh i thought that in the press conference is interesting that mel said that uh the the newest commit uh malcolm jones was the hardest hitter he's seen in the last four or five cycles which i mean that's pretty insane that's like a huge statement that probably got glossed over and and the other shocking thing there was uh that he's gonna start him off at corner yep uh that's true so uh, yeah, I'm a huge proponent of of the Georgia three star, uh, as I've made it known. I think a Georgia three star is uh, as good as most states four star. So definitely agree with what you guys said there. But that'll do it for this episode. Uh, thanks a lot, Stephen. Uh, I know you have a lot of team coverage uh, that you had to get to. Uh, appreciate you joining us and uh, Corey, you as well. Uh, thanks, guys, for, for setting this together. And uh, make sure you check us out on 24-7 Sports, Spartan Tailgate. We should have 50% off for the rest of the night still. So join us for the exciting uh, developments for the 2023 class uh, starting tomorrow and beyond. So uh, that'll do it for this episode and we'll see you guys next time.